Welcome to Calvary. My name is Lorianne, and I'm co-leading the marriage retreat with Pastor Barry. Here at Calvary, we want this to be a place where you can come and worship, get to know God, and connect with our community. If you're new here, we can't wait to get to know you. Feel free to message us on social media or text the word hello to 587-323-1199, and we'll respond right back. This is a great first step to joining our church family. We also want you to experience daily personal encounters with God, discipleship, and community. If you want to learn more about our culture here, deepen your relationship with God, and find a small group that you can really connect with, we'd encourage you to talk with one of our volunteers or staff after the service. We want to let you know what's going to happen over this next hour. First, our band is going to lead us in worship that helps us understand who God is and to express our love and affection towards Him. Afterwards, we're going to take some time to let you know about some things going on here at Calvary. Then, one of our pastors will be sharing an encouraging message from our new sermon series. I'm so glad you're here. Today is a good day. You know, one of my favorite memories growing up on the farm was Easter morning. But before we would go to celebrate Jesus rising from the dead with other believers like we are here today, my dad would create an Easter hunt. Now, this wasn't like uh, an Easter egg hunt where you just kind of go and look for little eggs around the nooks and crannies of the living room. This was... A, an extravagant hunt for a significant prize at the end. Dad was so creative. His clues usually uh, rhymed poetically with hidden innuendos of where the next clue could be found. So not only would you have to find the note in whatever uh, location that you decided his hint was referring to, but once you got there, you would need to have to find this little note that he had folded up and tucked into some little crevice, hidden well. And it didn't matter if it was cold and rainy outside or sunny and warm like it is today. All five of us kids would be up early, putting our boots on and putting our jackets on. We just couldn't wait to go find Dad. Well, he usually started off in the kitchen, 
And then he'd have us traipsing all around the farm, sometimes east, down our driveway and back again. That was about a kilometer there and back. And then sometimes west, out to the pasture where the cattle were grazing, then to the barn or the the grain bins or the shop. You know, very seldom were the clue locations close to each other. Usually he would have us traipsing from one corner of the farm all the way to the other corner and then back again. He loved to make us work for the prize at the end. And being the youngest of five, I had to work hard keeping up with my siblings. You know, thankfully, dad wouldn't put all the clues up high. Some of them were more at my height. Being the youngest, I was also the shortest and usually the slowest getting to the next location. Sometimes my siblings would get their way ahead of me and they will have already found the clue even before I got there. I was so discouraged when I couldn't even be part of it and didn't have a chance to look. Well, this once. So I'm about five years old. Dad's clue leads us to an old cab for a 5020 John Deere tractor. It looks a a little bit like this. And as we're taking off running, Dad calls out, this one's for Barry. (laughs) Whoa, I'm excited. This one's for me. Yay. The exhilaration of the hunt. Loved it. Well, on that first Easter morning, as we already read here in John 20. Those closest to Jesus found themselves in a hunt of their own. They were looking for Jesus. Where is he? What happened to him? If you're just joining us online, I encourage you to go and read. Maybe stop right here. Go and read John 20 as the context for this Easter message. You know, these followers of Jesus are trying to find him after his resurrection. They're looking for the person that they have fallen in love with, that they trust, that they believe in. And we don't have Jesus tangibly living among us like they did, but I believe each one of us has a search of our own looking for God in our life. And everyone's search for God is just a little bit different. You know, imagine what it would have been like for these followers back then. The last 36 hours would have been the most discouraging, the most hopeless that you've ever experienced in your life. Oh, the despair. How could our hope, our deliverer, the promise from God be snuffed out in such a cruel and deplorable, shameful way? Talk about feeling lost. Have you ever felt this? You feel like you have, maybe at one point you had clear direction. You knew where you were headed. And then everything falls apart. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's your kids or your grandkids. Perhaps it's your work or your career. Maybe it's retirement. Maybe it's the the value or the significance that your ambitions in life give you. Maybe it's your spiritual life your beliefs, and the direction that you have been going, but all of a sudden, it just feels so empty, purposeless, and you suddenly feel lost. Do you find yourself crying out, where is God? You know, I imagine this is their experience. Now they're thinking, 
We don't even know where Jesus is. You gotta be kidding me. Where is he? We know we buried him here. Where is God in all of this? You see, they hadn't remembered that Jesus had warned them about this. Not only about his death, but also his resurrection on the third day. And so when Mary Magdalene goes to do the customary practice after burial of a friend, uh, of a family member, she's utterly perplexed by the fact that Jesus' tomb is empty. He's not there. Imagine being Mary. Now, we don't know how or when Mary Magdalene or Mary from Magdala met Jesus, but when she did, seven demons were cast out of her. And I don't know if you have experience living with the influence and sometimes the torment of the demonic constantly pestering you, but Mary sure did. And being delivered from their influence is profoundly freeing and brings a deep sense of peace that a person in her situation has never felt before. It's an incredible experience. You know, perhaps you've even experienced this. The love that you feel the gratitude that fills your heart towards Jesus, the exhilaration of being able to think and feel without their influence in your life is almost almost indescribable. And so Mary not only becomes a follower of Jesus Christ, but she actually contributes to the needs of Jesus and the 12 disciples as they traveled around Israel. She was all in. She was sold out. Jesus was by far the most important person in her life. And so it's no wonder that she's one of the first ones to the the grave that morning. But as devoted as she was, she doesn't get it. She doesn't understand what has happened. All she knows is that he is not there. And she runs to tell the disciples what she saw. And she exclaims, John 20, verse 2. They have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. She's distraught. I can imagine why. Where is Jesus? This is the first that Peter and John hear about this phenomenon, and they take off towards the tomb. Now, They don't have a car or a truck that they jump into. They don't got motorbikes that they love to run and they roar off to it. They don't have hoverboards or even segways if you've ever ridden one of those. They don't even have bicycles. They run to the tomb. And John is faster than Peter. He gets to the mouth of the tomb first and he stops and he peers inside. And I I imagine that he's actually bent over just trying to catch his breath. But when Peter arrives... He blows right by John and he steps inside the tomb. And the opening of the tomb may have looked something like this. You see, John glances into the tomb. But the Greek word for what Peter does, since the Bible was originally written in Greek, in the Greek language, is something like carefully watching an entire play so that you don't miss, every, you don't miss anything. Peter carefully looks around the tomb, examining what he's seeing and taking in every aspect because he doesn't want to miss a single detail. We all look for Jesus in different ways. You know, imagine you're standing there with Peter inside the empty tomb, imagining 
what has happened? It's like when Jesus came back to life through God's power, he unwrapped himself from the strips of linen around his body and he sat up and he lays, he lays the linens that, that were around him beside where he's sitting. And then he takes the cloth of that, that napkin that was wrapped around his head, he folds it neatly and he places it beside him on the other side where his head used to rest. I imagine Peter thinking to himself, what is going on? This is no ordinary scene. If someone stole Jesus' body, why on earth would they take the time to place the linens back on the table? Like, this makes no sense. Why would they fold up the cloth so neatly and place it right where his head used to rest? No thieves would ever take time to do that. And how would thieves roll the stone after it had been placed in its place? Why would they take the criminal risk and, and face the fury, the wrath of the religious leaders after they had sealed it and they put Roman soldiers to guard it? But clearly, Jesus is not here. Where would he be? And John eventually joins Peter in the tomb. But the scriptures tell us that Peter left then and went home pondering, amazed at what he had seen and what it could mean. But John, when he looks at all he, all he saw, it says he believed. He recognized what was going on here and believed that Jesus had risen from the dead. And then like Peter... He goes home as well. But meanwhile, Mary Magdalene hasn't left. She still stay, she stays at the tomb. She remains convinced that somebody has stolen the body. And weeping, she stoops down to look in now into the empty tomb for herself. Verse 12. She saw two white-robed angels, one sitting at the head and the other at the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Dear woman, why are you crying? The angels asked her. Well, because they've taken away my Lord, she replied, and I don't know where they have put him. You know, for some reason, this doesn't even seem to phase Mary. I'm thinking she had to know they were angels. There's no way that two men in white could have entered the tomb somehow when she wasn't looking. They certainly weren't there when Peter and John were in the tomb. And she had been standing outside the tomb this entire time. But if that wasn't enough of a surprise to her, which it doesn't seem like it even, like she even noticed, she was about to get something really special. Verse 14. She turned to leave and saw someone standing there. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. Dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her. Who are you looking for? Well, she thought that he was the gardener. Sir, if you have taken him away, tell me where you have put him and I will go and get him. Mary, Jesus said. And she turned to him and cried out, Rabbanai, which means in Hebrew, teacher. Do you notice? Do you notice here? Although she is the one that is the most stuck, 
She was the most confused. She was unable to see the evidence or remember Jesus' warning. But once she recognized Jesus' voice, suddenly she knew. And it all made sense. She believes now. Jesus is alive. Mary Magdalene was the first person to meet Jesus after his resurrection. That's pretty cool. She was the first one to find Jesus. And now I think it's more accurate probably that Jesus actually found Mary rather than the other way around. But here's what I find fascinating about these events. We only have it recorded that Peter, James, and Mary, and a few other women actually went to the tomb. Well, where were the other nine disciples and the other people that had been following Jesus around all these years? Were they not curious? Were they so lost in, in their hopelessness? Maybe so afraid? of what the religious leaders may do to them if they caught them wandering around. And so they don't dare go on a venture to try to find Jesus. You know, I'm sure Mary couldn't keep her encounter with Jesus quiet. Like, can you imagine what that would be like? The first one to witness Jesus alive. Word would have spread rapidly through the disciples For that very evening, they huddled together. Verse 19. That Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. And suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. As he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hand and in his side. They were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. Talk about the reality of our hope standing right in front of us, right in front of them. Jesus is alive. You know, when we thought everything was lost, when we thought all hope had drained away, when we couldn't figure out what was going on, hope burst through our despair. Light breaks through the darkness and God's presence, God's presence manifests right in front of us. Amen. It is the resurrection of Jesus Christ that some 2.3 billion people around the, earth, around the world will be celebrating his resurrection right now, today. It stirred their hearts back then, and it still stirs our hearts today. Because it gives us hope. For life beyond this world. John eleven twenty five says this. This is Jesus speaking. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live, even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. Where is God? He is risen. The promise that God gave near the beginning of history that we looked at about four weeks ago, where we chose sin and brokenness instead of a tangible, instead of an intimate and obedient, trusting relationship with Almighty God, is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. He himself is the promise. 
And it is through his suffering, his death, and then his conquering of death through his resurrection that the power of sin and addiction, hurtful patterns of relating that all of us have, emptiness, rejection, and worthlessness, loneliness, and despair are removed by the power of Jesus Christ. He is the promise fulfilled. Jesus' resurrection is a big deal. In fact, it's mentioned 43 times in the New Testament. Whole chapters are dedicated to this historical event. It is the heart. It is the heart of the Christian faith. It is the most important event that everything else hinges on. And if we can't believe this, then there's no hope. And our sin remains the obstacle that blocks us from having a vibrant relationship, a meaningful connection with God. The Apostle Paul hits this on the head when he says in 1 Corinthians 15, this is not on your PowerPoint. He says, and if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is useless and your faith is useless. And if Christ has not been raised, you are still guilty in your sins. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. That he died. And he was laid in the tomb on Friday evening. And then that he was raised back to life on Sunday morning is a historical fact. It has been both documented. It has been verified by many, in many different ways by many different people. And if you'd like an excellent resource on this that explores these things, I would encourage you to go read Lee Strobel's two books. One is The Case for Christ. The other one is The Case for the Resurrection. I'd encourage you to study this evidence on your own. These followers, they find Jesus. To them, where is God? He's alive. And he's standing right in front of them. Jesus was not replaced last minute by someone else to endure the cross. He did not run away to Egypt or to the desert. He endured the cross. He suffered, suffered its shame. He died an actual sinner's death and was buried a dead and lifeless corpse. He was not merely resuscitated to live again as he was before with his body unchanged. He was made new, never to die again. The resurrection of Jesus Christ demonstrates that he has power over Satan, the current prince of this world, and power over one of Satan's greatest weapons and one of our greatest fears, which is death. The fear of death has gripped our world over these last few years. But a person who follows Jesus Christ knows that on the other side of death is eternity spent with God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. It's a place of profound beauty, of never-ending peace, overflowing joy. So, though death is not something that we need to hurry along, it is not something to be feared. Jesus Christ is greater. He has conquered death. And all who follow him, all who trust him to forgive their sins and choose to follow him will conquer death as well.
you need to know that the resurrection was preached right from the beginning of the church. On the very first day the church was born, in the very first sermon that was preached, the apostle Peter addresses a large crowd of at least 3,000 people and he describes the reality of Jesus' death and his resurrection. And then he adds, and this isn't on PowerPoint either, Acts chapter 2, verse 32, he says, God raised Jesus from the dead. And then he adds, we are all witnesses of this. Did you know that there are some 500 witnesses of Jesus' resurrection? These followers found Jesus, and their whole world changed. In fact, they gave their lives Many of them were killed for believing in and following Jesus Christ. If Jesus' resurrection was a sham, there's no way anybody would give their life for a lie. This is not a myth. This is not a fabrication. It's not a delusion, nor is it a hallucination. Jesus is alive. Where is he? He is seated at the right hand of Almighty Father. And by His Spirit, He reveals His presence to us in our heart. Now, back to those Easter hunts that my dad created for us. <laughs> we never knew how many clues we would have to search for before we would discover the great prize at the end which was a large gift bag of candy and chocolate bars. And then whatever fun thing that my mom would find to put in there, little stuffies and that kind of thing. It was so fun. But they made sure that we had to work for the prize. So how was your hunt, your search for God, been like? How many clues will he need to give you? How much evidence will you need to examine? And what will it take for you to believe that Jesus is alive? And that he's inviting you into relationship with him? That he's inviting you to embrace his presence and walk with him the rest of your life? Are you like those disciples that were too lost in hopelessness? Too afraid of what others think? And what others might do, that you don't want to go on a venture to find Jesus. Are you like Peter, where you need some time to examine the evidence, to think, and to ponder? Are you like John, running hard after God, and after you've ex examined the evidence, you believe? and you are ready to surrender your life to Jesus Christ now. Yes. Or perhaps you're like Mary Magdalene, where you, you just can't seem to make sense of, the, of, of things and what's going on, but when Jesus speaks to you, you immediately know his voice and you believe. Is it time for you to come to Jesus and find him for yourself? You know, as you were walking in, uh, sermon notes were available for you at the table. If you have them, once you pull them out on the back, in case if you don't have them, maybe raise your hand and an usher can come bring you some. 
But on the back is a reflection, and it actually describes here how to find God through Jesus Christ. I just want us to go through this so that everybody here, if, if you are here and, and you are ready to do this, but you don't know how, then here's how you do it. Number one, acknowledge that Jesus Christ is the only way to God and that you need him to lead your life. He said in John 14, 6, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Number two, be willing to turn from the things that God would not approve of. This is sin, as outlined in the Bible. And instead, decide to live according to his word. Honor Jesus Christ by how you live your life. That's called repentance. 1 John 1.9 says, if we confess our sins, he, God, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Number three, believe that Jesus Christ died for you on the cross and rose from the grave and accept his payment of sin on your behalf. John 3.16 says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes, even you here today, Whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And then number four, through prayer, you can invite Jesus Christ to come into your life and expect to receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will live with you and in you, and you will receive power. And so this prayer here just will enable you to live eternally with Christ in heaven. You can say your own prayer. It doesn't have to be this, but this is just here for an example. And I'd like to read it out loud. If you want to pray this with me, then I invite you to do that if this is where you're at. Lord Jesus, I know that I am a sinner and that I need your forgiveness. I believe that you died for my sins and I trust in you alone for my salvation. I choose to turn away from the things in my life of which you don't approve and now surrender my life to you. I invite you to come and reign and rule in my heart and life and open my spirit. Establish your presence within me and please bring me your peace. I want to know the power of the Holy Spirit working in me and live forever with you in the kingdom of God. I choose to trust and follow you as my Lord and Savior. Amen. If this is you, if you just prayed this, then I welcome you into the kingdom of God. I welcome you as a brother. I welcome you as a sister of mine in the Lord. You know, there are six people here today who are getting baptized now in our service. They are testifying that they have already made this decision and they are planting the flag, their flag in the ground that says no matter what happens in my life, my life will be about Jesus Christ. That's what baptism is all about. Why don't we stand, let's worship, and let's celebrate with them.